We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. Hey, guys, what's up? Kevin Jones, founder of Blue Wire. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Do me a favor. Send it to one of your friends. We're growing this network grassroots style. It takes everyone. You're a part of our team if you send this to one of your friends. All right, enjoy this podcast and appreciate your support. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, as always, it's Kyle Madsen of Niners Wire of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The schedule was released today, Kyle. How excited are you for literally the most exciting day of the NFL offseason? Football is back, baby. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. This this whole schedule thing is hilarious. Every year. Like every every year, it's like, well, we got schedule leaks. Tune in next. And it's like, well, wait, what? No, it's not, that's not a thing worth getting excited about like their entire their entire shows devoted to it people are writing blog posts reminding people that the schedule is coming out in 48 hours like it's really proud that i didn't write one of those by the way (laughs) it's just i mean mean, it's funny like i mean it, it sort of speaks to like how everybody is so obsessed with football that anything concrete like this happening in the off season is is really a big deal and you know i I don't blame the networks for like making shows out of it and it it gives us a a chance to create content in um in sort of a a down portion before the draft but uh you know the schedule's out and and we're going to talk about that because there are some interesting things with the schedule um this year particularly as it pertains to the 49ers and sort of where they're at uh, but I think we have to start with there's a little bit of news. We got to talk to players at the team's local pro day 
um, for the first time really this offseason. And uh, we got to talk to Jimmy Garoppolo and DeForest Buckner and George Kittle and Jarek McKinnon. And there wasn't a ton of breaking news. Uh, we I did ask DeForest Buckner about his contract extension. And he said, you know, his agent has had conversations with the front office executives about um, about you know, an extension and, and basically what Buckner said, which, which isn't really a surprise is that he's not in a rush. He's entering his fourth season. Yeah. He's eligible for an extension now, but as we've said this whole time, the longer he waits to sign a deal, the more money he's going to get. The salary cap's going to keep expanding. Other defensive linemen are going to sign lucrative contracts that sort of reset the market. And he's going to be in line for sort of a, a market resetting deal. Um, so the longer he waits, the more he's he's going to get. And I think he's going to have more leverage as he enters his fifth year option season next offseason a year from now, sort of like Khalil Mack did uh, last offseason before getting traded. And and I know in the last episode, we talked about the idea that the Niners might be interested in Queen and Williams. And maybe that includes trading Buckner because there might not be a ton of value in paying Buckner top dollar when you can replace him with a, a player who's similarly productive in Queen and Williams. And then you could build out the rest of your team, maybe with draft picks, you would recoup in a trade from with, from Buckner or a trade, including Buckner apologies. And so I still think they're going to take Nick Bosa, but it, the, the Buckner thing is interesting because, you know, there's a potential that if he doesn't have a new deal next off season, he holds out. Um, and I think, you know, the team, how the team approaches that situation could determine where they go in the draft this year, whether it's Nick Bosa or Queen and Williams. But um, it sounds like Buckner's not too concerned about it. If the 49ers end up drafting Bosa, I think that would indicate they're not really concerned about it either. If they go Queen and Williams, then I think the Buckner thing really gets interesting. But we're still a week away from that, and we'll have to see. Yeah, I, I, I really just think they're going to go Bosa. <clears throat> and we we devoted a whole podcast to them going with Quinn and Williams and and uh, what that what that might mean for their future because I have a very hard time believing that if Quinn and Williams is their guy that they're going to keep him and Buckner um, both on on the same defensive line. Yeah, agreed. So uh, another notice not- notable development or I guess news nugget from from today was that George Kittle said he he sort of confirmed what some of us uh, had had already known late last season is that he played basically the entire second half of the year with broken cartilage in his ribs. And so obviously he had that record breaking season. The 1,377 yards were the most by a tight end ever. Uh, And he did that while playing injured. And he said he got popped a couple times in the giants and Buccaneers game that he really remembers and, and that he dealt with a lot of pain, but he wore these gigantic pads. You could see him underneath his uniform to, to cover his ribs. And, you know, that's pretty notable. I mean, Kittle to have one of the best years ever while the 49ers as a franchise just have been pretty offensively inept for the last few years is a big deal. And, and for him to do it while hurt is sort of a testament to, to who, who Kittle is as a player. And, and he's... I mean, he's just emblematic of what the 49ers want in all their players. They want tough guys. They want durable guys. They want productive guys. So um, finding that out from Kittle and, and sort of how we dealt with that was uh, was a little bit interesting. And we wrote about it, or I wrote about it on, on this, for the Sackbee. So you can go to sackbee.com slash 49ers and read it there. Good point. Um, and I guess the other notable news item from today was that there's... Real, there's, real quick, real quick yeah, on, on Kittle. I think sometimes we forget that 
professional athletes are basically superheroes like compared to normal humans and that's such a like like that's one of those reminders of that like if i tear cartilage or break cartilage in my ribs i'm out like i'm calling out of work i'm down for weeks and this dude's going and playing football that's that's just incredible to me yeah i would be writing writing articles and blog posts like laying in bed yeah totally totally i wouldn't leave the couch yeah it would just be a total struggle like eating would hurt coughing would hurt moving would hurt um so yeah kittle kittle's a tough guy i think that's apparent that's one of the reasons why he's so well respected in the locker room on top of being crazy productive and um and a lot so uh the last news item i guess we could really pull from today there is still no concrete timetable for jimmy garoppolo coming off his acl injury or Jarek mckinnon um they both told us to you know ask the the medical staff obviously I mean, it's frustrating from a from a reporter's perspective when players say that because we aren't given access to the medical staff. So uh, it's kind of a cop out. I, I think Garoppolo sounded optimistic. He's still thinking about um, being fully cleared for 11 on 11 drills in training camp, which would, you know, at, that starts at the end of July. Um, so I think that's pretty reasonable. Kyle Shanahan has talked a lot about wanting to get Garoppolo in OTAs in seven on seven drills where there aren't going to be, you know, linemen around his legs. So he's not going to have to worry about anybody falling on him and he can still get looks at coverage and build chemistry with his receivers and things like that. Obviously the, the getting the feel from, from the pocket is going to be the biggest difference for him uh, when he can do the full 11 on 11 drills. And McKinnon is interesting because I mean, the 49ers obviously signed Tevin Coleman. Um, That wasn't expected. They didn't go into free agency thinking they were going to add a running back. Um, but it does give the 49ers perhaps a little bit of flexibility in terms of not rushing McKinnon back. And just because McKinnon, although he was hurt uh, three weeks before Garoppolo got hurt, or actually two weeks, ah, yeah, three weeks, three weeks to a month, because of the position he plays, the 49ers might take their time with him because he's so reliant on his, you know, cutting ability and running ability. And Garoppolo, you know, is more stationary as a quarterback. So with Tevin Coleman and Matt Breida, um, already in tow, the 49ers can can take their time with with McKinnon, and I'm I'm curious to see how that all how all that's going to shake out. But it's so early in the offseason program that we don't really know exactly how that is going to play out. It might be a scenario where McKinnon doesn't play in any preseason games and maybe returns for Week One, or uh, with the schedule coming out, the Niners have a Week Four bye. So maybe that week five Monday night game against the Cleveland Browns is when we see McKinnon come back. And maybe that's the Quan Alexander when Quan Alexander comes back to the linebacker, the 49ers signed in free agency. So um, that's pretty much the news from from today. We didn't get to talk to Kyle Shanahan or John Lynch. That'll happen next week before the draft. The thing that stands out for me with with regards to Garoppolo is that he is going to wear that knee brace that really stood out. And I think that's another reason it's important for him to get as much offseason work in as possible. Um, because we've seen before quarterbacks play with a knee brace and have it affect them a little bit because it's different. Like it's something to get used to. And then you mentioned chemistry with his receivers. I think that's going to be especially important because he got one off season and a couple weeks with Dante Pettis. Um, and then we're looking at possibly with Jordan Matthews and maybe one or two draft picks. Uh, you've got, 
uh, Richie James, who who could be on the roster that Garoppolo only had a short amount of time with. Basically, he could be working with four or five receivers that he's worked with either very little or never at all. Right. Uh, so I think getting as much work in as possible with those guys is, is extremely important. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and it, actually kind of a tangent. Uh, I, I talk with somebody at the Combine who, who knows Jimmy Garoppolo pretty well and has worked with him in the past. Um, and he he mentioned something that was really interesting that he thinks and, you know, Garoppolo obviously got off to kind of a slow start last year before he got hurt after, you know, coming in and being five and zero as a starter at following the trade to the 49ers the previous season. And one of the things that this guy mentioned to me was that he thinks Garoppolo is a much better player um, under duress where, you know, maybe he doesn't have as good of an offensive line or maybe he doesn't have as much time to throw. And he's better in those scenarios where he doesn't have to think. He just sort of reacts to the pass rush and then gets rid of the ball as quickly as possible. And obviously the 49ers offensive line was a little bit better last year and Garoppolo had more time to throw, but there were times where he would just sort of freeze in the pocket and he wasn't, uh, he, it just didn't look the same as it did in 2017. And, and that might be because, you know, Garoppolo is just instinctually better uh, when he's forced to get rid of the ball quickly because of the pass rush, rather than having time to make all these decisions. And instead of relying on his instincts, relying on what he sees. Um, so I'm curious to see, I mean, as an aside, and we could probably talk about that later, but uh, I'm curious to see how that goes for him coming back from this injury. Just is he still going to have those instincts? Are they still going to be there? Or is it going to be sort of a rough transition now that the 49ers offensive line, which is returning all five of its starters and, and should be improved pretty significantly as long as Lake and Tomlinson and uh, Weston Richburg return healthy. Um, you know, I would expect the offensive line to be better. So is Garoppolo going to be okay having, uh, or is it going to look like last season where he sort of struggled out of the gate because he had time to throw and, and took some sacks that were maybe unwarranted because he just held onto the ball too long. So that'll be interesting to see. And, uh, and we'll find out week one, now that we know the schedule, we know exactly what's awaiting the 49ers. So if you haven't seen the schedule, uh, I guess we can run through it real quick. Week one at Tampa Bay, week two at Cincinnati, home opener versus the Steelers, the bye week, week four, which is very early, uh, versus, home versus the Browns on Monday night football, week five, consecutive road games at the Rams and Washington, home versus Carolina at the Cardinals, Thursday night game on Halloween. Uh, three straight home games against the Seahawks, Cardinals, and Packers. Consecutive road games, really tough ones at Baltimore and at New Orleans. Then consecutive home games, the Falcons and the Rams, and then finishing it up at the Seahawks, where the Niners haven't won since 2011. Um, did you have any uh, any quick thoughts when you when you first glanced at the schedule, Kyle? And and what were your takeaways? Uh, I think the early bye week, because of what you touched on earlier with, with so many guys coming off ACL tears, typically you like that bye week later in the year. And in fact, I, I looked over the last 10 years, the Niners haven't had a bye week, uh, a week four bye week since 2002. So that's going beyond 10 years. But uh, week six is their earliest bye week in the last 10 years. And that was in 09. Uh, it was week 11 last year, week 11 the year before that, week eight the year before that, week 10 in 2015. So... I think it'll be different for sure because 
when when we look at a bye week, you'd rather have it later in the year, right? What you get that extra week off as you gear up for the playoffs, hopefully. But I think this year, early in the year with that bye week will be good because they do have those guys coming off significant injuries, and that'll be a good uh, additional week of rest for them or or an additional week of rehab that should allow them uh, to get back on the field as as quickly as possible. Yeah, I think the the week four bye week is is pretty rough. Um, just from the standpoint, like you mentioned, like generally teams are pretty fresh at that point in the season, right? Like that's the first quarter of the season, so you would hope that you don't need a bye week to get everybody healthy for for a stretch run. But what the Niners do have is right in the middle of the schedule, week nine they have a Thursday night game in Arizona, and then a little mini bye week with a Monday night game at home the following week. So they're really going to have eleven days between those games and that could serve as sort of a mini bye week they're at least going to have a long weekend um you know they probably won't after that thursday game they probably won't have to be back at the facility until tuesday or wednesday of that week um, and they won't start practice till thursday before that seahawks game so i would imagine that uh, they're going to milk that for all it's worth in the middle of the season and if they are in the playoff mix i would definitely expect them to treat that like a bye week and that'll certainly be a talking point at that point in the year um Overall, like there are some pretty interesting games. I think, um, you know, they got two Monday night games at Levi's Stadium and, and then the Thursday night game. That one of the differences, the Niners had five primetime games in last year's schedule and two of them they got flexed out of because there were Sunday night games. None of these games, these primetime games the Niners have this year can be flexed because they're either Thursday night or Monday night, right. including their two home games on Monday night. No road games on Monday night, uh, which is good for, for us as writers. But um do you, do you have a game on here, Kyle, that, that jumps out to you as like the most interesting game when you when you saw it, it sort of raised your eyebrows? Yeah, uh, week nine at, at Arizona is really sticking out. No, <laughs> um, <laughs> I was gonna say, wow. <laughs> no, I, I think that Saints game really, really jumps out to me okay. because that's week 14. And well, we all know the schedule is about that Browns Monday night game, but for me, week 14 is is that Saints game. It's in New Orleans. And if the Niners are going to make a playoff push, like if they're going to be, let's say, let's see, what how many games are left at that point? Four. So uh, they'll have 12 games. So let's say they go into that game eight and four, and they're just thoroughly in the playoff mix. That's a very good measuring stick game. Because if they go in and beat New Orleans – to go to like nine and four, it's like, wow, hey, this is not only a playoff team. This is a team that could make some noise in the playoffs, assuming New Orleans is as good as they were last year. But if they even go in and play well in that environment late in the year, I think that'd be a pretty big deal and uh, and a pretty good stepping stone for for this team. So that's that's the game that really jumped out to me, that week 14, December 8th game in New Orleans. Yeah, for me, the the first game that popped out is, is that week five Browns Monday night game, just because, I mean, it's going to be after the bye. Um, but it's also a good measuring stick game in the sense that the Browns have one of the most talented rosters in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's really debatable at this point. I, I just think we don't know how good they're going to be because they haven't accomplished anything yet as a team. But their collection of talent is really, really good. And Baker Mayfield entering year two. Uh, I haven't looked at the Browns schedule, but I would assume that's their first nationally televised game or at least Monday night game of the season. Um, and that could be a huge game for the Browns just in terms of where they stand nationally and, you know, how the country views them and how the entire league views them. So that's going to be a big game for them. And then obviously that's a big game for the 49ers because that's, those are the type of teams the 49ers want to 
want to beat. They, I mean, they want to beat everybody, obviously, right. but but the the upstart teams, the really talented teams, the teams that are on a playoff trajectory are the type of teams the 49ers want to be grouped with. So winning that game at home on Monday night in front of a national television audience, and the Browns are probably going to be favored in that game, I would guess, at the oh, moment. for sure, yeah. Um, so I, I think that is that is a really interesting game. I'm, I'm glad it's on Monday night, just from the standpoint of, like, it, it's a good litmus test in that on that stage for both of those teams. Um, but yeah, later in the year, like that stretch. Uh, so, so we talked about it last season, like the schedule started really hard for the 49ers and, and you could go into it thinking they would start on three or Owen four, just because they had, you know, at Minnesota at the chargers, um, at the chiefs, they, they just had some tough games. Uh, they, they opened at home against the lions. That was a winnable game. And obviously they did win, but you could tell last year that it was going to be tough in the beginning of the season. This year, sort of the opposite. Uh, their winnable games are earlier in the schedule, and then it gets really tough late. And I think mm-hmm. that's going to be interesting for for the 49ers in particular because they've played so much better like late in the season under Kyle Shanahan during those first two years that ideally like they would be playing their best football when they travel to play the Ravens, who are really good at home and obviously coming off a playoff berth. Um, the and they they have back to back games at Baltimore and at New Orleans. Those yeah. are going to be really tough. The Falcons at home the next week, week fifteen. The Falcons are very talented. They probably would have been in the playoff mix. I mean, they were seven and nine, so they they were just destroyed by injuries on the defensive side last right. year, and they still finished seven and nine. Uh, I think they're a team that has a ton of upside and could be a contender if everything breaks right for them. And then you have the Rams thirteen and three. Last year, obviously, they went to the Super Bowl at home, and then you finish at Seattle. So, if the Niners are playing their best football in December, like they have the last two years, then that's a, that's a good thing for them because they will certainly be, you know, if they're in the playoff mix, which you know, I, I had them, um, I, I went through every game and and predicted, uh, you know, predicted wins and losses because that's what you do in uh, in the middle of April, a week before the draft, as you go through the schedule and make concrete predictions about. Yep. Have how to. the team's going to finish, but Have I to. had them going eight and eight. And essentially when you're eight and eight, you're in the mix for the playoffs throughout the entire year. You're not going to get eliminated until maybe week 16 or week 15 um, at the earliest. So at that's at that point, like the 49ers are going to need to beat good teams to get into the playoffs. And I think that's ultimately a good position to be in because if you do win some games against, you know, they have the Packers at home, the Packers are going to be a lot of people think, including me, think the Packers are going to be really good this year. Mm-hmm. Um, the Packers at home, the Ravens, the Saints, the Falcons, the Rams, the Seahawks. That is a stretch where you could really just from a broad perspective, like just beyond this season in the playoffs, you could really figure out in year three of this Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch regime, how good are the 49ers, uh, you know, when you stack them up against other playoff contending teams. And I think in November and December on this schedule, we're really going to have a good idea of where things are. And then, you know, depending on what the record is, we, we, and if Jimmy Garoppolo plays 16 games, we could have a real idea of how good Kyle Shanahan is, how good John Lynch is, how good Jimmy Garoppolo is and what needs to happen moving forward. So I think coming out of the schedule, that's something that, that I notice is there's like a really good litmus test for this team, assuming they stay healthy, which is obviously a big if just given the way the last couple of years have gone, but I'm looking forward to see how everything plays out. And then what we come out of, uh, how we're thinking about this team coming out of the season 
and whether or not, you know, if they finish eight and eight and just outside of the playoffs, is that going to be good enough? Are they going to have some some win, wins against good enough teams that give you confidence going forward that Kyle Shannon and John Lynch are the right people for their jobs and Jimmy Garoppolo is good enough at, at quarterback or if more changes need to be made? Something else that stands out to me when looking at the schedule, because when we first saw the opponents, it was, you know, Tampa Bay, Cincinnati, Baltimore, New Orleans. It's all this travel. But they play mm-hmm. those two home ge- those two road games back-to-back, Tampa Bay and Cincinnati, and then Baltimore, New Orleans. Between weeks three and week 12, the Niners travel 7,900 miles. That's right. super not bad. Uh, if, they, if they do come back home after Tampa Bay um, and then go to Cincinnati, that's like almost 11,000 miles just between those two trips. So I think cutting down on that, that travel mileage is going to be really, really big. Um, because that can get brutal if you're going to the East Coast and then coming back and maybe playing a home game and then back to the East Coast again. Uh, that can that can wear on a team, especially late in the year. So I think having that big chunk of the schedule in the middle is uh, where where they're where they're home or uh, they make one trip to Washington and then their other two road trips are Arizona and LA. I think that's kind of a, a blessing in disguise there. Yeah, and they finish with five of eight at home. We mentioned how tough that stretch is, but five of those games are going to be at Levi's Stadium. Um, and then they open road heavy. Um, we, we talked about this in the media room today. Like, what's the toughest weather game? And, you know, because we there, there aren't really like it's they're not going to Green Bay in December. Right. So I was thinking about it and I kind of think the toughest weather game that they're going to have might be might come in the first two weeks of the season with at Tampa Bay in early September, it's going to be, you know, 90 degrees Mm -hmm. and just super humid. And you can bet the Buccaneers are going to be in white forcing the 49ers to wear their red uniforms for the heat. Um, Other than that, I think the the weather is pretty mild. Uh, Maybe early December in Baltimore, it might, it might be a little cold, but I think you know, I, I would still think it's going to be a little bit mild. It's not going to be the dead of winter in Baltimore. So I think from a from a weather standpoint, and I guess week 17 in Seattle, it's definitely not going to be warm, but the 49ers are pretty used to that. Um, there isn't really a bad weather game on here, which which so far bodes well with it. I mean, that being said, there there's probably going to be like a hurricane when they go to play D.C. or right. something like that. Those two... Uh... <laughs> Those two week 15 and week 16 games home against Atlanta and home against LA have a real chance to be really nasty games depending on the weather. Cause we know how Levi yeah. stadium turf holds up. So any bit of moisture makes a game really, really ugly, really, really fast. Yeah. The Falcons. I mean, I I've never, you know, they, 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 to me sort of epitomize like the stereotypical dome team, like the team that wants to play fast and, right. and, you know, have long developing passing plays because they have, you know, fast receivers and things like that. I think if it's raining in December, um, that that definitely favors the 49ers who are probably going to play with, you know, heavier personnel and run the ball a little bit more. The Rams are sort of like a dome team that plays outside, kind of, mm-hmm. um, with the way they play offense, sort of similar to the Falcons. I But, I mean, they're still the Rams. They're the defending NFC champions. So, it, I mean, it's... It, I, what I'm hoping with the Rams is like, I know we talked about it when, when Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan were both hired by their teams in 2017. Like I'm really hoping this turns into a good rivalry. Yeah. Same. Because that, that, that Thursday night game in 2017, even when it was Brian Hoyer against Jared Goff was so much fun to watch. And it was such like, even though you kind of knew the Niners weren't going anywhere, 
like just to see, you know, Brian Hoyer and, and Jared Goff, I, I forget what the score was, but that was such an entertaining game. I think it was 41 or something, I think. Right. And it sort of came down to like, uh, it was a Trent Taylor offensive pass interference yeah. call yeah, like and like a, a crucial first play, down yeah. conversion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was fun. So what? let's take a quick break. Hey, Kyle. Hey, Chris. Did you know uh, at Blue Wire, we don't just partner with any advertiser? I I actually, I did know that. I know that. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I did. Well, you know why? It's because we want to make sure we're giving our listeners a good deal on a product. Absolutely. That That's exactly why we love doing business with Harry's Razors. Harry's is giving Blue Wire listeners a shave kit for just $3. Go to harrys.com slash Blue Wire and you'll save $10 on a trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. If you're not familiar with Harry's, it's time you should be. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. The founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash blue wire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash blue wire to redeem your razor for just $3. This is Mike McGlinchey of the San Francisco 49ers and you're listening to the Candlestick Chronicle. Okay, so the uh, so do you have a do you have a weather game that sort of stands out to you? Like a game that you're curious to see how the weather impacts it. Hey, real quick, I looked up the stats from that ridiculous Rams Niners game. Brian Hoyer threw yeah. for 332 yards in that game. <laughs> yeah, of course. Why not? Uh, yeah, I mean, if you're the Patriots, you should probably just start him over Tom Brady. That's what I'm saying. That's exactly because what I'm Brady's saying. getting old. And maybe, yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you. Uh, okay. the, the, the bad weather game that stands out to me is, like I said, are those, are those potential two in, uh, in, in Levi stadium at the end of December, because any, like I said, any kind of rain, any kind of moisture in the air can really destroy that field and, and make it an ugly game. But then I agree with you as well on, on Tampa Bay, it's going to be hot that day and, and it gets humid in Florida too. So, right. uh, that could be, that could be a pretty, pretty nasty, nasty game heat wise. So, uh, that's the one that really stands out. I know you mentioned it, but, uh, we were, we were there in late November. That was of course the Ruben Foster weekend, um, which is also an interesting aspect of this. They go back to the scene of the Ruben Foster crime or alleged crime or whatever. I, that was a poor way to say it, but <laughs> they go back to where the Ruben Foster incident happened, mm-hmm. uh, the first game of the season, which is kind of interesting but yeah we were there in november and it was hot right. it was hot in the game i think was november 25th yeah um it was very warm so i would imagine in september it's 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 going to be pretty miserable uh and it's probably not going to be cold in in cincinnati week two either um how about the the most important stretch of games i think i have one in mind but i want to hear you go first the most important stretch of games I think it's the three home games between week 10 and week 12. Yep, I agree too. It's the Seahawks, the Cardinals, and the Packers. And that Seahawks game is a Monday night. You mentioned earlier, it comes after the Thursday, so they get that one extra day of rest. And it's a chance to beat the Seahawks for a second time in a row at home uh, on Monday night. 
And then you get the Cardinals the next week who uh, should be bad um, or, or, or should be a winnable game. So let's say they get those two. And now they welcome in the Packers with a chance to make it three wins in a row against two teams that should be in the playoff hunt. That's a that's a vital stretch of games. And especially if through their first eight, they're at, let's say, let's say four and four, they're going to need to win those three games to, to stay in the hunt. So that's, that's the one that stands out to me. Yeah. I was going to say the same stretch. Um, I I think we're going to look back and if the 49ers do happen to make the playoffs, it's going to be because they went two and one or three and oh during that stretch because they're not going to win both of those Ravens and Saints games. I just think that's going to be, I mean, I think that's going to be any team. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Even the Rams, if they had at the Ravens and at the Saints back to back, I think would be incredibly difficult. Um, So I think if you split those, that's probably the best case scenario, right? So if you split those, go one and one, you want to go at least two and one or three, and oh what in those three straight home games, and those three straight home games could ultimately define whether or not the 49ers are even in the mix, um, depending on how you know the first portion of the schedule goes. And, and like we said, I think we both ag- would agree that the the winnable games come early in the year when you have the Bucks who are five and eleven, the Bengals were six and ten. Steelers are obviously better than nine, six and one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think coming west, they they're not a team that plays particularly well on the West Coast. I think you can ask Raider fans about that, and that's what they would tell you too. Yep. Um, the Browns, we don't know. The Rams at the Rams, thirteen and three. That's tough. Uh, Washington, they were seven and nine last year, but I think they're probably going to be worse than that this year, just because of their quarterback situation. And then you have the Panthers, who are coming off a bye week eight, but they're coming off a bye because their game before that week six is in London. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have fifty three hundred miles in two weeks between games. And I, I know you know they should be fresh coming off the bye week, but the fact that they have to travel all the way out west after being in London, I think is going to be tough. Yeah, and that brutal. should be a winnable game for the 49ers. And then they have the quick turnaround Thursday and then those three straight home games that we mentioned. So yeah, I agree with you. That's the most important stretch of the season. You have to go two and one or three and oh there if you want to make the playoffs because of those Ravens and Saints trips are going to be just so tough. I think the first three games, and obviously I think you could probably say that for every team, but the Niners in particular, because that's three winnable games off the top. And if they start three and oh going into the bye, uh, going into games against Cleveland and Los Angeles and then Washington, uh, there's a chance in those first six games that they wind up like four and two, which uh, which you got to feel pretty good about if uh, if you're the Niners. Yeah, the 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 first the first four games are all definitely winnable. I I I'm a big believer in week one is just is just weird. Yeah, like like especially when you're going against a team that has a new coach. Because you don't know, you know, you, you don't have film to study. You don't know what their tendencies are. You don't know how the coach is going to use the personnel. Um, so I think that Tampa Bay game, weather aside, is going to be really difficult because Bruce Arians is a good coach. Um, and even if Arians doesn't end up being a good coach, I think that's still a tough spot to go and win. And if, you know, if, if you disagree with me, then I would argue, look at Jim Tom Sula's first game. Look at Chip Kelly's first game. Um, a, a first time coach has a huge advantage in that teams just don't know what you're going to do schematically or what your tendencies are or how you're going to deploy certain personnel groupings, yada, yada, yada. I just think that's going to be a really tough game for the 49ers regardless. Cincy also a first time coach, um, curious to see what they do in the draft to see if they go after another quarterback. 
Um, and then the Steelers, that's, that should be a fun game. I would imagine, you know, if they, the home opener is always fun because the fans are a little bit more energized. And if the 49ers do win one of those two games, uh, that, that would give the fans the, the first two road games, that would give the fans a, a little bit more energy. If the Niners come home at 0-2, um, that would not be great. Very for them. rough. Very rough. With losing with a really good Steelers team coming to to open your building lo- for the season. Losing either of those games would be would be difficult. I, I understand everything you said about week one games, but they played so poorly in Tampa Bay last year. And the expectations this year, because they're healthier, are going to be so much higher. They they have to go in and win that game. Uh so why don't we rank the must attend games there are going to be fans who want to buy tickets um who don't have season tickets who want to go to a certain game why don't we rank our top three home games uh and and how and and how much fun they would be to attend so i'll let you go first i'll start with number three for me um number three i'm gonna go with the packers as my cat walks across my computer here i'm hoping it didn't break anything um which cat uh catrick willis (laughs) <laughs> we haven't discussed the fact that your name is Catrick Willis on this podcast. Yeah, he's, uh, he's sitting right next to me. He's great. And I've got Stefan Purry in my lap. What's up? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, That's awesome. Yeah, the Packers. The Packers is number three for me um, okay. because Aaron Rodgers is one of those athletes that anytime you can go watch him in person, like you have to do it. He is so, totally agree. so good. And I he think is the so much fun awesome. to watch in person. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And that could be we talked. We just talked about this. This that could be a huge game. So I'm I'm right. cir- I'm circling that one for sure. Okay, I'll go. Uh, let's see, number three. I'll go uh, the couple couple weeks before that. Seahawks on Monday mm, Night Football. Yes, I think that's a good one. Um, Monday Night games are. Like primetime football is just really fun. There's something about and and particularly in Levi Stadium where. Uh, rumor has it the sun can can sort of wear you out what? if you're on the east side of the stadium. A Monday night game at that point in the year is probably going to be a little bit more tolerable from that standpoint. Um, but just, you know, the crowd's a little bit better. Maybe people have had a little bit more to drink. Um, it's a rivalry game. If the 49ers are in it and the Seahawks presumably are going to be in it uh, in terms of the playoff race, I mean, like that that should be a fun game. So I, number three for me is going to be the Seahawks. Yeah, Monday night games just in general are are electric. I'm I'm right there with you. And in fact, that was going to be my number two game. Um, okay. Because because of that Monday night factor, because it's the Seahawks, because it's such a potentially such an important game. Like there's just an electric vibe in the stadium on Monday nights. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they'll do this still, but they, they announce over the PA like, hey, we're going live on ESPN in three, two, one. And then they play the Monday night theme and uh, right. everyone, everyone goes bananas. That's uh, that should be that should be a ton of fun. The Monday night theme uh, when I was in college was my text message notification. Oh, it was my ringtone. Wow. Yeah, man. Kindred spirits. That's awesome. Um, let's see. My number two game. Gosh, the Packers one's a good one, but just just for the sake of being different, uh, week sixteen against the Rams. Mm. If the Niners are in it, um, if if they're in the playoff hunt or they're in the division hunt, that is going to be a huge game. Uh, so you know the Rams presumably are. I mean, they're the favorites, the clear favorites to be atop the division. And if the Niners have any hopes of getting to the playoffs, that is a really really big game. Um, so. 
I think that would be and, and that could be one where it gets flexed in the prime time and then, you know, all the atmosphere stuff we're talking about yep. could uh, could come into play. That's that's one that um, they don't know if that's going to be a Saturday night game or a Saturday afternoon game or a Sunday game. Uh, we'll find out. I think I'm, I'm not sure. Actually, I've never seen a schedule say Saturday or Sunday. Yeah. Uh, we'll find out at some point. But if that's a primetime game and those two teams are both in the hunt for the playoffs, that could be a really, really big one. Yeah, plus the the Niners have never beat a fully functional iteration of Sean McVay's Rams. And let's say they go into that game at uh, nine and five and they win that one. And all of a sudden they're sitting at 10 and five going into the final week of the year. That would just be uh, a gargantuan victory. So I'm with you. That game's huge. Um, And I think we're probably going to have the same number one game. That did you go Cleveland? I did. I went Monday night against Cleveland. If for no other reason, for all the Monday night stuff we talked about, and then you have the Odell Beckham Jr. factor, which I'm sure will be discussed uh, ad nauseum that entire week. Mm -hmm. Um, But the the Browns are just so freaking talented, and I think they're going to be super electric this year. And if they go into that game like 3-1 and or 4-0, and the Niners have a chance to to knock them off, and maybe the Niners go into that game um, 3-0, I think that that's a potentially huge early season game at the quarter way point. And I, I think that'll be pretty hyped, especially if both teams come in uh, undefeated or with like one loss between them. Yeah, I, I agree with you. My number one game, if I were to buy tickets right now is week five versus the Browns, because um, for all the things you mentioned, but also just from a ticket buying perspective, like the Niners are not going to be eliminated from the playoffs at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you don't have to worry about like the one risk you have in buying tickets for, you know, the Rams game, say week 16 is that they could be well out of the race by then they've been out of the race. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say, you know, in early December since, since I guess the last time they went eight and eight in 2014, Bro, they were, they were out um, of the race in October last year. <laughs> well, they were out of the race September 23rd last year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that Browns game, it's really a no lose because they presumably if, if nothing terrible happens in September, you're going to be healthy. You're coming off a bye week. You're not going to be eliminated from postseason contention. It's going to be a big game regardless because it's only the second game. Um, the second home game of the season. And like you said, the Browns are super exciting. Uh, I think Baker Mayfield has a potential to be a pro bowl quarterback as soon as next year. And I think over, over the entire trajectory of his career, I think he's going to be a top five quarterback, maybe not this year, but going forward. So to be a, you know, the Browns only come around once every eight years. Mm -hmm. So if you're a football fan and you want to get a chance to see Baker Mayfield in the Bay or in Santa Clara, uh, that's going to be your, your only shot Uh, as long if he's on the Browns in eight years, then he'll come back. But um, it's just sort of a rare, it's a rare opportunity to see a team like that. And just miles Garrett is really good. Odell Beckham's really good. The, the entire roster is really good. Um, Nick Chubb is really good. I, I mean, I, they went seven, eight and one last year. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they won 10, 11 games. And I think they're still the favorites in the AFC North uh, to go to the, to win that division and obviously go to the playoffs. So yeah, I think that's number one for me just because it's so intriguing and it's so different. Um, just given the trajectory of where the Browns are and where the 49ers want to be and the fact that the 49ers want to be an upstart team like the Browns. 
So it it uh I think that'll be really interesting and and Monday night, man, the histrionics of Monday night are, are always just a little bit more fun. I wanted to look up the last time the Browns were in San Francisco. Yeah. And it was 2011. Two. I was at this okay. game. The Niners won oh. 20 to 10. Um, And I'm realizing now that the 2011 Browns are an all-star team of guys I had on my fantasy team at some point, thinking that they were going to produce. Oh, or maybe they it. had one like huge game, and so I picked them up. Uh, do you remember Chris Ogbonia running back? Yeah, yeah Chris Ogbonia, sure. Montario Hardesty, um, Owen Marisich, tight end, <laughs> Josh Cribbs, Ben Watson, Greg Little. Wow, like, dude, these are all guys I've had on fantasy teams at some point. What was their record that year? They were three and four after they lost to the 49ers. Um, okay, who was their quarterback? Colt McCoy. They finished. Oh, obviously they were three and three going into week eight and they finished four and 12. (laughs) Yikes. Wow. Yeah. Colt McCoy in that game threw for two forty one and a touchdown and an interception. So that loss was really the turning point. Yeah, it was Frank Gore, 134 yards and a touchdown for him. Yeah. So if you, if you are a Browns fan, you're going to look at this 49ers game and say it was a turning point of the season last time. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the turning point of the season this time. I think I'm gonna get. I think I'm gonna crank out two thousand words on uh, on that last Browns Niners matchup ahead of that game. Cool, <laughs> you'll get tons of clicks. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing fires people up more than than hearkening back to the 2011 Cleveland. I'm Browns. gonna call them the Clickland Browns because of how much how much traffic I'm gonna get. There you go. I think that's a good place for us to uh, to end this podcast. Oh, but I was going to keep running through the 2011 schedule. So <laughs> <laughs> many um, more takes. Well, Remember when Roy Hallou had 14 catches in that game at Washington? No, I don't. Yeah, Roy Hallou had 14 <laughs> I catches. I don't remember that. 1911 Niners win. 2011 i was no i was back in uh, i was back in the bay area at that point i should have a better memory of this. 14 for 105 man yeah john beck quarterbacking for the for washington wow john beck sorry we can let's go i'm sorry the irreplaceable john beck all right for kyle madsen <laughs> my name is chris biederman uh this is the candlestick chronicles podcast on the blue wire network uh we will talk to you guys next week it is draft week Next week, uh, we will finally know who the 49ers take at number two next Thursday. So we're presumably going to have two shows. Uh, Look for them, I guess, Tuesday morning or Monday night. And then uh, maybe we'll do maybe we'll just do one big draft preview episode because Wednesday night might be a little bit too late before Thursday. And obviously, after the draft Thursday, Uh, we should crank out an episode and then maybe another one Saturday or Sunday following the draft. Anyway, keep it locked. Refresh your feeds wherever you listen to your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys later. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.